Hi all, Jacob Austin here, owner of QS.Zone, and welcome to episode 16 of the Subcontractors Blueprint, the show where subcontractors will learn how to ensure profitability, improve cash flow, and grow their business. Today's episode number 16 is going to be about payments under the Construction Act, and particularly payment notices. So the Construction Act, as everybody calls it, is actually the Housing Grants Construction and Regeneration Act. It was initially introduced in 1996 and then had a major revision in 2009, which had brought in the rules as we mostly know them today. There's been some twiddles and twaddles in between, but they're nothing major to worry about. And it effectively enforces these rules by statute on all construction contracts. So even if you don't enter into a a proper contract, even if you enter into some kind of loose agreement based over an email or whatnot, you are protected by the Construction Act and all of the provisions of it apply. So it terms a construction contract as an agreement, and it doesn't stipulate a type, with a person for any of the following. Carrying out of construction operations, arranging for those operations by others, whether under a subcontract to him or otherwise, or providing his own labour or labours of others for the carrying out of construction operations. Then it goes into a long and boring definition of what a construction operation is, which any common sense person could come up with. I'm not going to bore you with reading that all out, it's around about a page of A4, and there are better ways to spend a cold and wet Tuesday morning then listening to me describe construction operations in the way a politician would describe them. So what I will say is, refer to it if you want to. If you think you are doing construction operations, you probably are. So part of the point of the Act is to make sure that payments are made regularly and promptly Uh throughout the supply chain. And whilst there aren't any prescribed periods within the Act, It basically says that between the two parties, you are to agree a frequency and then a period for which the payment is to come through. So you can decide what amounts are due and when, and your contract should really set out a mechanism for determining that. And the overarching principles are that you have a right to interim or periodic or stage payments, the right to suspend work for non-payment, and then to claim costs and expenses incurred and an extension of time resulted from the suspension. And what you'll see is that the main forms of contract have brought these provisions in and they've got their own clauses which satisfy the Construction Act. Then there's provisions for how payments are notified. So the payer must issue a payment notice within five days of the due date for payment even if there is no amount due. Then... If they intend to pay a different amount to the amount on the payment notice, they will issue a pay less notice. And in both cases, they have to set out the basis for calculating what they're paying. So the basis for what they're paying is kept pretty loose. And that is to say that the build-up to the request for payment can be as detailed or as scant in detail as you like. And whatever that request looks like, The contractor providing the payment notice has to provide a similar level of detail to that which you've provided yourself. Personally, I always like to err on the side of more detail rather than less. I think it gives both parties a better opportunity to understand what's being valued, what's being asked for, 
It makes it easier for the contractor to respond to it. And I think it ultimately ends up in a fairer outcome. So the payment notice must be issued within five days of the due date. And it must be even if there is no payment due. As I mentioned, if there is any requirement to pay less, there must be a pay less notice and then that amount must be paid. The sum that you've been notified of must be paid by the final date for payment, which is typically seven days after the due date. Then for whatever reason, if there is no payment notice, the payee, as in you, should issue a default payment notice. But if the contract is an application for payment contract, this then is not required because the application becomes the default payment notice. Now it is important to read your subcontract because in different places these things are done in different fashions. So I've seen it that the contract is set up so that every time an application for payment is made under the contract it's termed a payment notice. And that basically means that the contractor doesn't have to do anything in the eyes of the law as long as they pay you the amount that you've applied for. So then the only requirement becomes to provide a pay less notice. So it ultimately achieves the same outcome, but with a slightly different slant. So if you don't receive a pay less notice, you would just get paid your application and then the same right to suspend would apply if you didn't get the money. Some of the quite big names out there do do that process. So it's not completely unusual, but it is slightly different and it is worth reading your contract just to find those things out. But as I say, the norm, is that you submit an application. Within five days of the due date, you receive a payment notice. Hopefully there isn't any reason for a pay less notice. And these are only there really to correct a significant error. Or if there's been a significant default, as in a defect of some sort, which really needs addressing immediately. So then let's talk about the basis on which sums are calculated. This has sort of been built on by legal precedent in cases following the introduction of the Construction Act. And whereas I think it read initially that the contractors should provide you with a build-up to the amount you're being paid, that seems to have been trickled down into sort of each of the component parts of the payment. So it's no longer enough to just say, okay, the build-up to your £200,000 this period is blah, blah, blah. There should be a build-up to the individual amounts that you're being paid. So that means if the contractor is paying you less in any instance than what you've applied for, they should be telling you, one, why that is, and two, giving you a build-up as to how they're valuing it. So that means the phrase on account and a random sum set against something that you've asked for just isn't enough anymore. So as a for instance, if you've asked for, I don't know, some change that's come about in the period... Say you've been asked to build a load of garden walls which weren't part of your original contract and what you've done is priced it on a linear meter basis and chucked the rate in that you thought was reasonable for it. Now if the contractor doesn't agree with what you've put in there, the onus is on them now to one, decide how much they should be paying you, but two, communicate that decision to you. So it's no longer good enough to say, right, you've applied for £5,000 at so much per linear metre. I don't agree with that. I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. Here's two grand on account. If they are paying you less than what you've asked for, you should see a build-up. And this doesn't have to go to the nth degree. It doesn't have to be a full labour plant material split. But there typically will be some logic behind why you're being paid what you are being paid. And basically what we're saying is that needs to be put forward on paper to you so that you can understand and challenge it if you need to. 
So in this instance, the contractor might take your square meter rate for brickwork, double it up for the two skins of brickwork and add something for the coping on top. It can be rough and ready, but it needs to be there in some form. And then the same applies to any day works that might happen. It's no longer good enough for there to be 50 hours worked across one week and for the contractor to just put a sum against it. Sometimes you get these situations where a piece of work is charged on a day work basis and rather than giving a line by line breakdown there's just a summary of this day worksheet tallied up to £5,249. It's not good enough to get a payment notice back that says two and a half grand on account. So for whatever reason, if they're correcting an error on the Dayworks, there's been a bit of contract work that's been duplicated up by the Dayworks and they're adjusting out for that, or they've seen that it was two men instead of three men that were doing that particular piece of work, they need to give you a build-up so that they're saying this many hours, this rate, or so many mandates at this rate, so that you can at least understand what the discrepancy is and some commentary on what that adjustment has been. Sometimes it's a case of there's a genuine error, and it needs to be taken into account, and that's fine, but you have to be told about it. If you are getting notices and they've got these kind of lump sum, on account, random amounts in there, you might actually have an invalid payment notice being issued. And a further interesting point on validity of a payment notice. It was established in a case a couple of years ago that where a payment notice is issued and the case in question was actually between a client and a contractor. But it is reasonable to assume that the same applies downstream. The contractor in this case was being issued two payment notices each period by the employer. The first one was either valued as nil or valued as a pound or something nominal. And this was being used as a means to satisfying the timescale that they had to issue a payment notice in. Then they were correcting that with a second payment notice at a later date after the deadline had expired. And this then reflected however much money the employer thought was actually due. Then the decision in this case went back to the initial understanding of the Construction Act. A payment notice must specify the sum the payer considers to have been due at the payment due date. And note the emphasis there on the word considers. So what the judgment finally was on this is that it's no good issuing a payment notice for a menial amount, a pound, nil, whatever, if there's no realistic reason for it to be nil, if there's no real belief that that's what the true value of the work is. Because what's really happening there is the employer in that situation is issuing something to to buy themselves a little bit more time, to sidestep the rules, to basically shortcut on a technicality. And all right, they've issued you a payment notice, but it's fucking meaningless. So in this instance, it was quite rightly picked up on and decided that that just wasn't good enough. So watch out for this trick from your contractor, and now you'll know what the answer is if it does happen to you. I would also add to that that if there are significant items in your valuation that have been valued at nil and there's no real reason behind it, you might also be able to challenge them on the basis of do you really think that that is a genuine valuation of that piece of work? Because what this result is telling us is that the contractor has got to have some genuine belief that that is a fair valuation and that is what they'll pay you based on the information that they've got at the time. But back to the Construction Act, one of the things that is interesting about it is that other than there being the right to payment by instalments, it doesn't actually define what those instalments are. So that leaves it down to you to decide. Now, depending on how the contract is set up between you and the contractor, there might be some rules in the contract that define how the payment is determined, such as there might be remeasurement. 
there might be milestone payments and so on. But the actual act itself leaves you and the contractor free to agree your own terms, your own periods and your own set of instalments and it might be something that you want to consider, particularly if you struggle with cash flow or maybe you've got some large items, things that are done up front, you might have design that you want to set proportion paying up front to cover your costs on that, you might have to outlay for materials and you want to cover some of that cost when you outlay for the order. If that sounds like something you have to do, do consider that you can ask for those kind of payments. And essentially the construction act is on your side. You're able to negotiate and agree what you need to in effect. That's not to say that all contractors will like that and some may definitely kick back on it. But at least it gives you an angle for negotiation on it. The construction act also says that pay when paid clauses are ineffective. So even if there is a pay when paid clause drafted into the contract, it can't actually be used unless unless a third party who the payment is contingent on becomes insolvent. And we spoke about the different kinds of insolvency in episode 11 of the podcast. So this means unless your contractor's employer or someone such as the employer's funder becomes insolvent, then a pay when pay clause just isn't valid. So that is absolutely the majority of instances that clause can't be relied upon to hold payment back from you. This applies then to payment overall, to payment of any small sections or sub milestones, whatever, of work. It also applies to retention. We did discuss that in episode 10 of the podcast in more detail specifically to retention. It's important to note that supplementary rules bring this down a little bit further to say that even obligations under a different contract cannot impact payment under your subcontract so if you can establish an entitlement to something then you're entitled to it at the point when the payment's due regardless of whether the client is going to pay the contractor for whatever that item is under the main contract so the old excuse of oh well the client's not paying me for it so i'm not paying you for it doesn't apply and the same with oh if i can't get an instruction for it then you can't your contract even if it is in support of their contract is a standalone agreement now let's talk about default situations so i think the original intention of the act was that if there wasn't a payment notice issued then a default notice would be provided or would be required But if you're in an application for payment situation, now, if there isn't a notice, what happens is your application, your original document you've submitted some whatever time ago, that becomes the default notice. And there's no need to submit another notice on top of it. All you need to do is make sure that you get paid for the amount of your application. But there is a further bite at the cherry that the contractor is allowed to have. So if they fail to issue your payment notice, and you then point out that a default notice is in force, what they can then do is issue a pay less notice. And that is accepting that your application says what it says and it's the value due for payment. They then are able to say, actually, I'm going to pay less than that. Here's a pay less notice and then adjust your payment anyway. So if you do get to a situation like that, probably what your best outcome is, is to wait until it's too late for the contractor to issue a pay less notice and then you bring up your lack of payment notice and that your application is a notice in default. Then if you don't get paid that amount, similarly to if your payment is late, you can move on to the next item in the procedure, the right to suspend performance. If there's been no valid pay less notice and the full payment is not made by the final date for payment, then you're entitled to suspend performance 
or any part of your performance under your contract until the full payment's made. So this is up to you. It can be you fully suspend and you clear off of site, you don't do anything, or you can just stop doing a portion of the work. It's completely up to you. But what is crucial here is that you give the notice. You've got to give at least seven days notice of your intention to suspend the work and clearly state that the grounds are non-payment. Thanks for listening to today's show. I hope you've enjoyed it and I hope you've got something useful out of it. If you know somebody who you think might benefit from my message, I'd be super grateful if you'd share the show with them and help me reach as many people as I can. And as ever, if you like what you've heard and you want to learn more, please do find us at www.qs.zone where you can subscribe to our training and support system for like-minded subcontractors. In there you'll find templates, how-to videos, interviews and more. And it's less than the price of a cup of coffee per day. And you can cancel any time. We're also on all your favourite socials at qs.zone. Thanks again. I've been Jacob Austin and you've been awesome.